Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Every so often, there are reports of aerial strikes in Syria, which the Damascus regime attributes responsibility for to Jerusalem. Less frequently, purported Israeli action involves surface-to-surface missiles rather than aircraft because the targets are presumably closer to the Golan Heights armistice borderline. But whatever the tool utilized, the reality is clear. Iran, without whose help Syrian President Bashar Assad could not survive a decade of domestic conflict, is being compensated by exploiting Syrian territory to position its own Quds Force assets as well as proxies against Israel. These launching pads, intelligence outposts and munitions, depots, are immediately added to the Israeli Air Force target bank. To analyze this Iranian entrenchment along Israel's northern front, we're joined from central Israel by Brigadier General in Reserve Yossi Kuper Vassel, who is a project director on Middle East developments at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you for having me. Indeed, also joining us here from elsewhere in Jerusalem is Dr. Neil Bones, who is a research fellow at the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thank you. And with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of TV7's Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the latest pertaining to Iran's unyielding efforts to entrench militarily, not only on northern Israel, but predominantly in that crescent of territory. Unyielding indeed, but less successful. For the uh, 42 years uh, or so since the Islamic Revolution, there were two policies which converged on what you described. One is the defense of the Iranian homeland, but by offensive means, and that is trying to protect uh, Iran as far away from its borders as possible. Uh, And therefore, if they are entrenched in Syria, it is better for them than uh, to have uh, an engagement on their own border. And the other policy is exporting the revolution. Uh, especially to uh, 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 Shiite-dominated areas such as Lebanon, uh, led by Hezbollah. So again, being in um, Syria, helping the Alawite minority uh, led by the Assad family and by Hezbollah, again, it makes sense, and it gives them the um, uh, launching pad against uh, Israel. However, since the death of uh, Qassam Soleimani um, a year and a half ago, or so, the IRGC Quds Force is not as powerful as it uh, was, um, neither uh, on the Israeli border nor apparently in Tehran, where uh, Khamenei uh, reigns supreme and Raisi is uh, the new president. So it seems as if Israel has found the right modus operandi to strike uh, at the Iranian entrenchment in uh, Syria. Uh, while deconflicting with the Russians, and even though the Americans are on their way out, almost completely out, um, and Jordan is very close by and uh, its own interests must be protected, Israel uh, has up to now managed to uh, contain at least and uh, sometimes roll back the Iranian effort to entrench itself uh, on its border. Indeed. Prior to... uh 
efforts to understand why the Iranians are doing this. I'd like to uh, ask you, Brigadier General uh, Kupel Vassel, uh, a colleague of yours or a former colleague of yours, Brigadier General Redik Shafir, who was one of the uh, eight pilots who uh, struck the, the nuclear reactor in Iraq back in the 80s, uh, said that in order to strike today Iran, uh, the, it wouldn't be just a single strike. It would be approximately two to three weeks uh, of uh, continuous operations against the Iranian nuclear installations, which would then uh, consequently, of course, draw both Israel and Iran into uh, a wider conflagration. Do you think that the Iranians are taking this into account uh, as the prime objective to deter Israel by entrenching militarily in Syria, in Lebanon, in order to ensure that when the day comes that Israel is forced to contend with uh, the nuclear threshold of Iranian armament, we would see a certain conflagration that we haven't yet to see in uh, quite some time. Well, definitely this is one of the major reasons why the Iranians are building their force in uh, in Syria, because they believe that uh, this would enable them to have another position from where they can either act against Israel or deter Israel by having the potential to act against it. And it always... Uh, it, uh, done also in order to enable them to uh, strengthen Hezbollah and deliver to Hezbollah weapons that will uh, enable them to hit Israel by themselves, not uh, necessarily through the Iranians, and especially the precisely guided uh, rockets. That is uh, one of the things that uh, stands behind what the Iranians are doing. On top of their will to uh, have influence uh, all over the Middle East and to use their uh, proxies in all these places that you mentioned before, in order to uh, threaten and uh, threaten their enemies and uh, promote their activities in uh, exporting the revolution, as Amir put it. That's, uh, that's the issue. Now, uh, regardless of what is going to happen if uh, the Iranians cross a certain uh, red line on their way to having a nuclear capability, uh, it's clear that the Iranians want to make sure that the Israelis know that the price they're going to pay for attempting to do something like that is going to be extremely high. And I think everybody in Israel has no illusions about uh, how something like that is going to look like. The question is, what is more uh, costly? Uh, having an Iranian Iran with uh, arsenal of nuclear weapons or uh, suffering uh, some sort of uh, retaliation by the uh, Iranian proxies or by Iran itself if we end up in uh, some sort of uh, military operation like that. Indeed. Dr. Obams, I'd like to hear from uh, your angle on the deployments of the Iranian forces in Syria and Lebanon. Uh, To what degree are they successful, considering the fact that they're no longer, as was the case at the beginning, accompanying the Syrian military on the various fronts exclusively. They have their own interests. They're trying to entrench on multiple fronts. Of course, uh, Damascus uh, uh, area of uh, uh, the the Damascus governorate and and all those uh, territories in the area of Kunetra are predominantly uh, Iranian, even though uh, we do see that they're more so Hezbollah and other Iranian proxies than Iranian forces proper, but we see more and more Iranian so-called advisors on the ground who are guiding their proxies on how to entrench, on where they're uh, supposed to deploy in order to face potentially an Israeli uh, offensive. 
how do you see that on the whole line of uh, the Northern Front? And are we to be concerned at this stage? Well, I was talking the last part, uh, Jonathan. Uh, if Israel is to be concerned, uh, the answer is most probably yes, and that explains uh, the almost uh, weekly reports on uh, various Israeli activities inside Syrian territory, bombing mostly Iranian-related targets. Uh, and that uh, means that Israel sees a target that needs to be uh, uh, bombed uh, and neutralized before either additional weapon is coming to Hezbollah or additional uh, uh, weapon is coming to be dispatched uh, uh, in a position vis-a-vis uh, -vis Israel. Uh, the recent reports uh, that we have seen, worrying reports, uh, has to do with medium-term uh, missiles uh, that uh, seems to have uh, gotten potentially to uh, pro-Iranian uh, militias uh, for the first time. So Iran uh, is continuing uh, to push, and of course Israel is concerned. If you're looking at the main sort of two, Iran 1.0 and Iran 2.0 version of the activity in in, in Syria. At the very beginning, uh, the Iranians have sent uh, forces and then militias uh, to help uh, uh, the different areas of war. Uh, and then, you know, the Syrian war was uh, over, at least was supposed to be over, reported to be over, and Assad has taken back uh, many of its territories. That not, wasn't exactly the case, uh, but uh, it, it was uh, uh, at least partially so, and the way it was done, and the way it is done, that now Iranians were able to take some uh, uh, of the actual units within the Syrian army, and you actually see Iranian uh, uh, proxies uh, in Syrian uniform, um, not speaking Arabic so much, uh, or speaking this with a, a Shia um, dialect uh, uh, from uh, Iraq. And occasionally you'd see uh, Iranian proxies with Syrian uniform, but with uh, uh, the, the same type of uh, turbans that they wore back uh, in the home country, that they still keep some of that. Uh, they're part and parcel of the uh, Syrian infrastructure with the Iranian advisors um, in, uh, in command. This is what we've seen in the last uh, few days in Da'a where uh, you've seen uh, this exact uh, activity, and you have a very considerable part of the Syrian military, which is actually not Syrian, but de facto Iranian. Um, and this is what uh, has changed. Uh, this is also part of the reasons why Israel have taken action uh, also against uh, Syrian targets. Uh, the two of them are unfortunately very much intertwined. Indeed. Mr. Owen, I'd like to ask, Israel is obviously not the only reason Iran wants to be in Iraq and Syria and Lebanon. It has additional interests. It has additional rivals, Turkey, one of them. How do you see uh, that also playing a factor into this entrenchment? And to what degree does Israel have partners in trying to thwart the Iranian entrenchment from that angle? The Israeli effort is not overambitious. There was a time when current Prime Minister Naftali Bennett uh, was uh, Defense Minister when he tried to portray the success of the IDF in terms uh, which were 
more grandiose than uh, was the reality, as if uh, Israel has managed, of course, under his leadership, uh, to uproot the Iranians altogether from Syria. This was never the uh, intention, it was not the result. What Israel is trying to do is to kick the Iranians out from its own vicinity. And um, the Russians uh, have already uh, set a limit of uh, 100 kilometers. It depends on where you start counting them, whether from the Sea of Galilee or from the current um, uh, line of uh, demarcation. But um, uh, the point is that Israel does not try to um, uh, throw all of the Iranians from all of Syria because, as you say, there are other parties um, in play. Now, when General Kupewasser was the G2, the intelligence officer of Central Command, and then the head uh, of research and assessment for the uh, IDF uh, director of intelligence, uh, people used to say, to speak of mowing the lawn regarding terror in uh, the um, uh, occupied territories. That is, uh, this is not a scorched earth policy. Uh, we all know that uh, you get some of the uh, uh, terror leaders, uh, you manage for a while uh, to keep uh, the uh, uh, place uh, uh, quiet, but then other leaders uh, are going uh, to, to be there, uh, a new generation. And the same goes for uh, the Iranian entrenchment uh, in Syria. Yes, you can for a while take care of them, but they will try to come back. And the question is, are you going to get a political arrangement with uh, the powers that be in Syria in order for them to tell the Iranians to go home? And these powers are obviously mostly Russia. And there are other parties, as you uh, mentioned, Turkey. But for that, Israel uh, will have to engage with these parties for a much broader dialogue. Indeed. General Kupilvaso, Obviously, your, your rich history in the military intelligence directorate has uh, granted you quite uh, a unique understanding of the Syrian theater, even though the theater is evolving rapidly on, on a regular basis. I'd like to hear from you, uh, according to public information uh, pertaining to the gap between the intelligence community being able to uh, fill up the, the target uh, bank, if you will, with regard to uh, viable targets of precision-guided munitions, of uh, weapons caches, and, and other uh, targets that have to do with challenges for Israel's qualitative military edge on its northern front, we hear that one out uh, or three out of every four uh, potential operations are abandoned for various reasons. Does this mean that the current situation at hand is more dire than initially portrayed? Or are we uh, to take of this that within every operation they're trying to make as much as possible uh, capacity of being able to then take out as many as possible targets uh, in one uh, sortie? Well, I think, first of all, one has to appreciate uh, the Israeli intelligence dominance in Syria when it comes to the Iranian entrenchment. The fact that Israel can again and again and again and again uh, locate the caches of uh, weapons, of new weapons and uh, new capabilities that the Iranians bring in is really impressive since uh, the Iranians and the Israelis are in some sort of a learning competition 
and uh, the ability of Israel to stay always one step ahead of the Iranians in this is really impressive. It's not easy. Uh, the Iranians are not an easy competitor. And so that uh, should be appreciated. Now, as for the decision when to strike, uh, it has to take into account many considerations. It's, uh, whether it's, uh, it's also, first and foremost, it's a question of locating the, the target. Secondly, it's uh, verifying that this is what you need to, to attack. Thirdly, it's uh, making sure that uh, from, it's not a time-sensitive target. Some of the targets are moving, some of them are not. If they are going to stay in a place for a while, you can wait a little bit, maybe garner more information about it. There are a lot of considerations. Of course, also political considerations come into, uh, into effect and uh, the, the kind of uh, protection uh, that uh, anti-air anti uh, missiles and uh, so on and so forth uh, that uh, the enemy is using. All of that has to come into, into account uh, on top of all kinds of operational uh, considerations as well. So eventually, if you look at uh, the history of this uh, ongoing battle, I think Israel has done uh, quite well in this battle, especially by maintaining its uh, not only air superiority, but also its intelligence dominance. And uh, this is frustrating the Iranians. I must say that they are very, they are very frustrated with that. Nevertheless, as uh, Amir said, and as Neil said, they don't give up. They keep uh, sending their uh, weapons in this direction because their uh, order of priority uh, uh, making this uh, presence in uh, Syria effective one, both in the context of uh, building a threat towards Israel and in the context of building the capabilities of Hezbollah, on top of the initial purpose of uh, supporting Assad, all of that is, uh, is critical for the Iranians and it's very high priority for them. And that's why we see how much they invest in that, in spite of all the difficulties they suffer economically in, uh, in Iran itself because of the sanctions. That tells you a fortune about uh, how important this, uh, this effort is for them. And it is also that important for us. So this is why we have this uh, battle. Now, we cannot rely on anybody else to help us in this respect. As Americans are still there a little bit in the, the area of TANAF, uh, which makes its, uh, the capability of the Iranians to deliver weapons through the uh, underground more complicated. But on top of that, nobody is helping us. There are some factions within the Syrian opposition who are still fighting the Iranians, but they are pretty weak. And we have to do to carry this weight alone, which uh, gives us all kinds of side benefits because everybody else that is uh, unhappy with the Iranian entrenchment in Syria appreciates what we are doing. We are doing it for us, but they are uh, side benefactors from, uh, from this. I'm talking about the Jordanians, uh, Saudis, uh, the Emiratis, and so on and so forth. All of them are uh, gaining out of uh, the Israeli effort to uh, prevent the Iranians from entrenching in Syria. And eventually, maybe in the future, we shall. We are. We were trying all the all the way, all, all along the way, but with limited success, to convince the Russians to uh, adopt a different attitude to the uh, uh, Iranian presence in Syria. So far. There were some limited local uh, achievements, but not more than that. And if uh, at some point a new Syrian regime or a new configuration of the Syrian regime will decide to give up on the, on the Iranian presence, this is going to be a major achievement for Israel. Dr. Bombs, next week on Tuesday, we will have a program about uh, Russia's interest in the Middle East and involvement also uh, in the whole aspect on Israel's northern front. But I'd like uh, to hear from you 
if you could elaborate also, uh, based on what General Kupelvassil just mentioned, to what degree are the Russians uh, enabling the Iranians to entrench in Syria at this stage, and potentially also in Lebanon, considering the fact that it does have uh, pretty much dominance in, in multiple areas in Syria. And uh, do you see more of a coordinated mechanism needing to uh, receive some refinement after the, the initial agreement uh, several years ago that uh, the deputy IDF chief of staff at the time, Yael Golan, who is now in the uh, political scene here in Israel, uh, managed to uh, hammer out together with his Russian counterpart and has therefore also uh, avoided plenty of, of confliction in Syria that may have uh, brought about quite different results uh, on both sides for that matter. Well, Jonathan, Russia maintains the largest military presence in Syria, and it's uh, single-handedly responsible uh, to uh, the uh, turn uh, in the Syrian war toward the, the side of the regime. Without its uh, uh, intervention in 2015, I think we could have seen a very different picture. Uh, it did so uh, predominantly with the Air Force, but also with the supply and uh, the support uh, to the uh, to the Assad regime. Part of the strategy uh, of the Russians was that they will work from the air, uh, and the Iranians will work uh, from uh, the ground. And that's exactly what had happened. Uh, the Russians have military uh, bases uh, that they control in Syria. Uh, they had they dispatched military police, uh, and that means that they have uh, access uh, and direct control. Uh, over uh, key points in Syria. This really means that if the Russians would have wanted uh, the Iranians um, to, let's say, limit uh, their presence, they could. Uh, to some degree, they have attempted to negotiate some of this, even with the agreements with us. But as I've said before, uh, it, it was a, a, an interesting dynamic because at some point when the Russian says, look, what do you want? The Iranians are not there. It's really because uh, the Iranians were really technically not there, but they were already in Syrian uniform uh, on a uh, Syrian basis. And uh, they just became as part entrenched uh, with the uh, authorization of the Russians. Um, uh, and again, this could not have been done if the Russians would not have chose to do so. Uh, on the other hand, the Russians are not always happy with uh, what the Iranians are doing in uh, Syria. And therefore, we also have uh, a mechanism with the uh, uh, Russians that enables us uh, uh, to continue the activities to limit uh, some of the activities of, uh, of Iran. The Russians are not always happy about it, but they also understand uh, that uh, this is also a part of life and they need to balance uh, between uh, Israel on the one hand and the Iranians on the other. Uh, the Russians could have made a number of choices to distance the Iranians, but this is, would have been costly for them because they do not want to fight them on the ground. They don't have uh, uh, the desire or to some degree the capacity to do so, especially when they're so entrenched. And to some degree, they, they would say that they have interests uh, with uh, Iran and um, they're happy to uh, become the arbitrator uh, and in many ways to let the different rivals uh, fight among themselves because uh, for the most part they're staying out of this fight uh, and Russian interests are not uh, damaged in the process. Uh, so yes, this is very true still uh, that the, the Russians uh, allowed this particular situation to, to happen and to evolve. Uh, despite all the agreements and despite some of the hopes that they will change uh, course, I think this is still 
uh, not really happening. Um, we have dialogue with the Russians on uh, on these issues. Uh, occasionally, they get angry when we are, uh, uh, you know, bombing too much. They would like to have uh, to see stability in uh, Syria. They also understand that as long as the Iranians are there and we continue to bomb them, uh, stability is not going to be. Uh, uh, you know, so so quickly uh, seen in the cards, mm -hmm. uh, and therefore they're trying to keep this uh, uh, difficult balance. And in some ways, uh, the best they could do is to limit uh, uh, the areas of lack of stability to some areas. Uh, what we've seen now uh, in the last few days in, in Dara uh, was very uh, clear uh, Russian-Iranian action. We've seen. Uh, uh, Iranian militias on the ground. We've seen Russians going into Dara, uh, conducting the negotiations. Uh, and as for perhaps would have, could have CB been the, the, the most recent evidence that uh, the two uh, uh, parties continue to work together. Indeed. I'd like to uh, close with a question to General Kupervas, as we don't have very much time. Uh, last week there was a meeting uh, of the UN Security Council during which they spoke about a report that was published by the OPCW on matters of uh, chemical agents in Syria. Uh, of course, there was an outcry about Syrian uh, refusal to cooperate uh, as uh, was uh, necessary under Resolution 2118. Uh, but I'd like to ask you specifically about a report by an Iranian news agency, which is run by the Ayatollah regime, Tasnim News Agency, which confirmed that one of its ROGC operatives was actually killed in Syria, dying from uh, chemical injuries, as it said, quote unquote. Is this something that should raise the alarm with regard to the potential of uh, attempts by the Iranians to once again develop a nuclear or, excuse me, a chemical arsenal that would then pose a new threat to uh, Israel from the north? Uh, well, we should be worried about that anyhow, uh, because the uh, Russians, sorry, the Syrians and the uh, Iranians have not given up on the possibility of uh, using chemical agents uh, to harm the, the opposition. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure that uh, this is uh, actually relating to, to the case of uh, the Iranian uh, higher-ranking uh, officer, it's, uh, he, uh, what the Iranians claimed was that he died because of some chemical uh, effect that uh, occurred to, to him uh, years ago. So I don't, I'm not sure that this has something to, uh, to do with uh, his position in Syria. It's, uh, so, but the fact that he died, uh, the, the question was whether he died because of some uh, opposition activity. That was uh, what the... Uh, Iranians wanted to uh, deny, and uh, that's where they had the story about the chemical uh, uh, background of his uh, uh, death uh, came from. Well, this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank General Kupelwasser, Dr. Bombs, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's uh, panel, and I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.